0: yeah
1: that's
0: what that's the podcast about right
1: (laughs) we got this big goal but we don't give a fuck about anything
0: what's a goal what's a goal so okay so here we go now now we're going to do this yes yes so this is making spark making sparkles yes so this is And as you can tell from that rambling (laughs) beginning, uh, this is a very, very special two-part episode of Making Sparkles, a podcast not about making the musical Sparkle Pony Bear. I have an interview finally. And not only is it just a random interview, it's with my very, very, very dear friend and colleague and music supervisor, Kaylee Drain. Um, We went on for like two and a half hours um, the first hour alone was just talking about how we've known each other for over 10 years now. <laughs> so so I'm gonna break this into two sections. Um, so the first chunk we're gonna deal with primarily about just kind of talking about our past and having a good time. The second part of the interview, um, the second part episode that'll be coming out right after this is gonna cover more about working with me, what a music supervisor means. Um, all in all, it. It's insanely entertaining. I, I had a blast. I want to thank Kaylee Drain from the bottom of my heart. We were only going to like do this for like an hour. It went, again, two and a half hours. She's a treat. Let's just get straight into it. And without further ado, I give you Kaylee Drain. Oh, I this. Love is this is our episode, Making Sparkles, a podcast not about making the musical Sparkle Pony Bear. And with me I have my very (laughs) first interview ever. (laughs) I I, for twenty episodes I've been doing this. This is finally I keep telling them next episode. What have you been doing in your
1: twenty episodes? Just talking by yourself? I love yeah, that. Yeah, you okay. know me. I have no of course, problem. I know you. Here come the beats. It's <laughs> you for an hour, twenty times.
0: And with me is my music supervisor, my my creative spirit animal and woman that I love, cellist <laughs> oh extraordinaire to the stars, Ugh. Kaylee Drain.
1: I'm melting. Hello, Kaylee everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler.
0: <laughs> and now we could just pretend the mics aren't here
1: anymore. Great. Okay.
0: So, <clears throat> so why don't we begin with you first telling everyone how awesome I am.
1: Yeah, okay. Because the mics aren't here. This is what we actually talk about, guys. well, that's what I... Yeah,
0: that's part of the the payment process. You Um, have to give me compliments.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Yeah. tit for tat. I got that. Um, Tyler Crosser is um, an amazing human teddy bear of a man. Um, I met him off of Craigslist (laughs) like 10 years ago. 10 years now. I originally
0: said 10 years ago like 3 or 4 years ago and you had to correct me I was like
1: Tyler was it was <laughs>
0: but now it has been like it ten, actually has yeah, been 10 no. years ago Now now yeah. we're cool.
1: Now now we're officially old and we've known each other for a decade which is crazy. And um <laughs> Tyler uh came to me back then with a project that he was doing uh it was a little T wasn't it? A little T yeah. orchestra. So it was this chamber orchestra um recording session that that he uh put together and uh the rest is history, I guess. I got to hear about him and his colorful life, and um, he entertained me with so so many. Tyler has so many stories. I actually now now that you have a podcast, it makes perfect sense. to Oh, me. I
0: haven't even told like many <laughs> stories yet, but I know but you haven't because thank, you have thank, so many. Thank of them. you for the compliments, yeah. and that's our episode. Everyone, have a good day. now. Goodbye. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so why don't why don't we that intro why don't we talk a little bit about Mm. you let's talk about your cello playing Mm -hmm. and then we can from there kind of go into you teach and Mm -hmm. you work with me as a music supervisor Mm -hmm. so why don't you kind of give us the origin story where does Kaylee come in
1: yeah so um I'm a freelance cellist based in New York City I got out here about 10 years ago actually and uh, I play all different kinds of music. I, I couldn't even make a list of all the music that I play because I just, in my mind, I just play music, which is a typical New York City kind of kind of path to go down. Um, I collaborate with artists. I, I improvise. I, I uh, arrange. Riot. <laughs> I, play with, I played with Rara Riot. I played with Imogen Heap. I played with, who else is on my famous list? I forgot.
0: T.C. Crosser. T.C.
1: Crosser. I played with <laughs> him obviously the best one and um and just keep my myself busy through that um i love also in addition to freelancing which is you know a lot of a a big adventure in and of itself in new york i love collaborating with artists on on projects and things to create for the sake of creating them um and so that's why i'm so happy to work with tyler because we get to create this huge project together. It's amazing.
0: And there's no end in sight, and there's, there's no, no end- real rhyme or reason why I'm doing
1: it. Well, what's so cool is that that I, as the music supervisor, that makes me feel like this is really official, because there is a music supervisor, mm-hmm. with truth be told. It's you. It's me. It's you. So it's stroking my ego, but it's also um, something that a lot of artists never do, is they do not collaborate with people not just for the sake of bringing someone into the room who might agree with them on a lot of things but bring someone in the room who can do that who can also counterbalance them and ultimately hold them accountable for actually getting like their big crazy dreams into reality oh yeah so,
0: and I think and that that's partly what the whole point of this podcast is and that's why I'm so glad mm-hmm. that finally I was like I'm just gonna set up the mics, and Kaylee's coming in for our meeting, so I'm just gonna turn this into like a twofer because you know me, yeah. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always cramming more than I can in the hole.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, it's always something new. Uh, I'm a just, size queen. just I think the the listeners should know at this point that Tyler completely sandbagged me with this podcast today. Yep. Like, I just walked into the the room, you know, our our studio, aka Tyler's bedroom, yep, and. <laughs> yes. There are all these mics set up. And I'm like, what are we recording today? He's like, so I've been doing this podcast. And I was like, cool. Well, I
0: could have just given you a melodica and went, go to town, girl.
1: Go oh, to I'm town. always down for that. Are you kidding? If there's a melodica in the room, you better oh. believe I'm playing it. I recorded
0: an entire album of just Bells and Melodica once.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Can you know, I hear that? It's
0: called DW and the Atom Bomb.
1: <laughs> of course it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but the whole thing about the podcast is about kind of this exploration of working on stuff and from a composer standpoint Mm -hmm. because I feel like bands producers we all like to kind of glorify what we do and we make it seem like our shit don't stink and Mm -hmm. we're like constantly struggling for our vision
1: right which
0: isn't really true no and the (laughs)
1: reason that I think that that fantasy is peddled so much is because most of us spent like 75% of the time from the project's inception to its reality was us putting it off Mm -hmm. and like just, just procrastinating in the most creative ways possible. And so we're actually too embarrassed to admit that. So then we create this story that there was some process we had to go through. Like we just like stepped into our bedrooms and like, like, like magic happened. That's just not true. I mean, to, to a certain degree that does happen. Like the creative spark is a, a thing um, that, that we all use, but, um, so, so much of it is just like, you know, staying on top of it and yeah. like staying in it and staying focused. And that's why I think. It's just
0: a lot of masturbation. It's a lot. <laughs> it, well, no, cause I mean, people <laughs> uh, like the five people that listen to this podcast, yeah. hey, they, five already, people. <laughs> they already know. Cause it's always like, I will go an entire week mm-hmm. not doing shit. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden one day it's like. Here's 50 minutes worth of music, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely in that camp, and I think mm-hmm. that's where kind of you coming in. So so we started 10 years ago when I was in New York the first time mm-hmm. uh, with the Little Man T Orchestra, yes. which was then hyphenated to Little T, mm-hmm. and all of that got defunct, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I brought I, – I had the pleasure of working with you when I did my Paranoid Android show where I took oh my God, yes. all of Radiohead's OK Computer album and rearranged it for cello, drums, and like keys. eight singers, and then me on the piano. And keys,
1: yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, we can't. and that was one of the most – it was one of those music like in in, its own very special way one of the most musically epic things i've ever done because i i never even played a radiohead cover before i know they're out there but so i feel like i i don't think you would mind me telling telling Mm. the audience this but um no
0: i shit talk the no end so because we could talk about cookie too I'm kind Your of sh- Oh, we'll get to cookie.
1: Believe me. Okay. That's proper shit talking. If anything, I'm kind of shit talking myself right now for being kind of a, like a hard ass. But so years go by between little T and, and Radiohead and, uh, and paranoid Android and Tyler emails me out of the blue, oh, uh, right. sweet email gives me this budget, this project. And he wants to know, uh, if, if he can put together a string quartet for X amount of dollars. And I said, Hey Tyler, absolutely not have a nice day. I mean, I was so cold about it. <laughs> it was a little disheartening. <laughs> and he he got back to me. He's like, "Well, that's why I was asking you." <laughs> so so Tyler came back and I'm glad he did because I realized that he was actually determined. Um, you know, to my defense, not to my defense, uh, a lot of a lot of I've gotten a lot of emails from from pro- big projects where people have these grandiose ideas uh and they have a shoestring budget and they want want thirty people for it and uh, and we should pause we in. should pause
0: right there uh-huh. because this is a really important point yes I think is that composers, producers, we don't know price ranges mm-hmm. at all. Like we, we don't know what going rates are for musicians. And yes. I know even in San Francisco when I was running the studio, it was kind of a hodgepodge of like who you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Mm-hmm. When it gets to especially classical musician classically trained musicians, very different ball game. Like mm-hmm. there are rigid rates, yes. and there, there, you know, this is why there's union contracts, yes. which I've been blacklisted from many, many times. <laughs> I don't want, <laughs> I don't want fuck deal unions. I'm working on like melodic and bell movements. Right, there's no right. contract. There,
1: there's, there's before I get myself blacklisted, too. I won't go too far into the union. Oh, yeah. The union would be listening to this. But, um, yeah, I think I... I, And it's understandable that you might not want to get the union involved. Uh, The the moral of that story, I think, is that Tyler was totally in the right to call me up and and get a suggestion for the budget he had in mind. (laughs) My response was a bit standoffish. Um, Now, now in my, like, wiser and sager years, uh, I would have enthusiastically and, and positively explained to him that that was not enough money yeah. for the string quartet and um, but it
0: was enough for a cello <laughs> but it was enough for so. the cello
1: so Tyler being the so. innovator as that he is and I, I I to this day do not know how you did this this is what really made me fall in love with you was you took your string quartet arrangements mm-hmm. or your idea for it and turned it into a solo cello part and I was like and it was playable it was it was accessible it was it was certainly challenging because it's radiohead but um it it was not
0: yeah and it almost ruined my relationship with my boyfriend (laughs) because he and I just started dating at the time and so he was like he couldn't wrap his head around the chaos that was me like Mm -hmm. every moment of every every free moment I had I was either getting blackout drunk or I was like on my laptop trying to rescore and retool everything yes so that not only what, did it sound what I was trying to do but then also it was like cello friendly and also like cello fun because cello
1: fun because it, it was it's, super cello fun because you have to you write get
0: that like it's but like I think it's different right if you're writing for instruments for recording then it's the audience that always has to come into play from an audio standpoint because mm-hmm. you know how are people listening to your music are they watching it in a film are they on their headphones walking down the street, mm-hmm. you get too in the weeds and too complicated, then it, it gets lost. Like yeah. I think there was a famous study where it's like people only remember they only retain the first thirty seconds of a song and the last minute of a song. Everything in the middle, the middle. becomes kind of washed over. Mm-hmm. like they have to mm-hmm. listen to it four or five times right But when it's a live performance and they're watching the musicians play, The musician—it's a twofold thing. It's got to look cool, Mm -hmm. so that's why you saw in my scores. I was constantly doing lots of marcato, jumping from bass to treble, like doing because visually I knew it would look really cool. And then also keeping an instrumentalist on their toes, but in a fun way, also kind of captures like Mm -hmm. later. I still people will still. Come up to me about that show, mm-hmm. and they'll always talk about you, the cellist. They won't—they oh don't God. give a fuck about me <laughs> or anyone else. They're just like, that cellist was
1: awesome. Oh my gosh, are you true. serious?
0: Yeah, oh yeah. I've gotten so many compliments, and, oh, and I think part of that was, A, you're that makes an my amazing day. performer, but oh, I think also you. having a score that kind of animates out oh, yeah. is, I don't think I would do the same score if we were just recording it. Because I would try to mm-hmm. make it more about the overall tonality, but on sure. that I just fucking threw the kitchen sink. I was like, we're, totally gonna, "We're gonna
1: have fun." And that was such <laughs> that was such a fun score. I um, remember. Yeah,
0: Cookie. So we had this drummer, Cookie. Oh God, who, Cookie. He, he's a friend of mine. God bless him. But friend
1: is a very <laughs> very loose term in this context. But yes, go ahead. He was just.
0: Crazy, crazy, crazy twenty something dr- fellow drunk, and
1: he's a punk rock drummer. The reason his name was Cookies because he worked f- or works for one of these like cookie delivery oh, services. Oh, yeah, that's
0: right, yeah. <laughs> Just to give you a, a portrait <laughs> yeah, of this guy. Okay, so. go ahead. So Cookie. Um, and I remember he was demanding I write out the drum parts. So I spent weeks because I don't. Uh, any composer will tell you, scoring for drums mm-hmm. is never so. It's not fun. It's a whole different kind of mindset. Yeah. When you're in your f- notation software, it, it, you have to f- develop layers. So each layer has specific points. It's right. super, super contrived. And also, I'm I have like such insane OCD. Mm-hmm. So I literally made like crazy like triplet sixteenth notes and all these things into this really cool kind of like drum mm-hmm. pattern. And I put it all in. And that motherfucker never once looked at it. No, Never no, once. No. Like, the first rehearsal, he refused to do anything because I didn't have the scores. Then I gave him the scores, and I never once saw him reference them ever <laughs> I was so angry at him. <laughs> Plus, he was always late.
1: He's always late. And he was so mean to you, Tyler. Oh, yeah. That's what <laughs> That's really so... makes me, like, very very disappointed in cookie was he was was such a dick i don't want to trash talk this guy so it was it was
0: yeah and i think for me and, and as we kind of like evolved the conversation into to now the thing that kind of like stood out was i had eight singers none of which you're yeah, really right for the role. Like it was just finding talent, even if you're paying for it in New mm-hmm. York City, mm-hmm. is insanely complicated because it is. You know, that audition process, we had like seventy-five people that auditioned. We picked eight. And those were the best we could find. Oh my goodness. We'll just leave it at that. Wow. And I think I think at the end of the day, it ended up really good. But mm-hmm. um every night one of them was crying. <laughs> there, there was really yeah I didn't know yeah that. oh yeah so, so this is the thing like you and Cookie like were in your own little world. I know as the band. I was dealing with like tremendous amount of personality. Like there was one guy that would never shower, so Ew. the girls would always complain about the way he smelled. And then there was another guy that was constantly like harassing the women, even though he was gay. <gasps> and like it oh, just man. it just devolved. And then at one point, I think the Max was. Three of them crying at the same time before we even went on. I'm not prepared. I don't know. I'm gonna be miserable. There was that one time where Zora Blaze Mac Uh
1: Like lost her
0: voice because she wouldn't rest and she kept trying to party with everyone. And then she got all upset and started crying because she wanted to sleep with Brett Benowitz. (laughs) I know, I'm using names, I don't care. And like so at one point, like I had three of the girls crying. I didn't know how to keep it together. Um, the budget was super, super overinflated. Um, the marketing person that was supposed to be handling getting the ticket sales in, mm-hmm. tickets were... We had a respectable audience every night. But it was yeah, never enough to, to make ends meet. And yeah. it just... Oh, my God. So there was so much going on. Mm-hmm. Cookie's harassing me. Always yep. showing up late. Demanding mm-hmm. we pay him up front. And at one point, my manager had to like... Pay to get a cab for him to move his shit because he didn't he was just a it was just a nightmare and we could go hours on this this is
1: making I just had this <clears throat> thought through my head I'm like maybe maybe I'm just like okay at what I do but I happen to be the best person from that gig which is oh, why you're like no, and
0: came no, and was, no, no, no 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 so so like so the point of so this through the chaos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the one rock the one person that was always there was you. Like if, if you hadn't been there, yeah. none of this would have worked out because it was like, you were the one thing everyone always looked at. All the musicians, including Cookie, mm-hmm. highly respected you and mm-hmm. were intimidated by you. Good. The audience- For Cookie's ab- sake. Not yeah. <laughs> the audience absolutely loved you. Wow. Like that was, you were the selling point. Um, and it was just, yeah, it worked out. And I just, I remember Chris Ignacio, like- Flipping out about how like the show was so fucked up and it sounded oh, yeah, like crap. Guy. And it was like after everyone had just kind of like poured their heart and this soul into This was the it.
1: last night. We were all going yes. out to celebrate afterwards and on the stroll from the venue to the bar, Mr. Ignacio proceeds to, to uh, just latch on to Tyler and, and bitch about everything that went wrong. Yeah. And the thing that <laughs> I have learned... And that what I was bringing to that experience is that um, I've produced, I still produce, I produce events, I've contracted musicians, I've managed, I've organized, I've had to deal with venues. I know I have a better sense now of what actually it takes to do that. And it's it's a pain in the, it's, it's a pain in the butt. It's hard work. There are factors that the producer has to deal with that the performers have no (laughs) idea of, and that's, that's fine. It's not their role to um, so, as a member of a team, you—what? Even if you're seeing a disaster unfold before your eyes, you—you you do not assume you know what's best for the keep organization. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you keep your mouth shut. Um, it, I mean, oh my goodness, that was—that was ridiculous. Mm. Did I end up like I like pulled you away from him or yeah, something like you, that? well, I was that's, like, Tyler, let me talk to you, and yeah. I was like, what the fuck is oh, that yeah. guy doing? Like, and I'm I so mad.
0: That that to me was this point where I realized I not only had a colleague, I had a friend because you looked out for me. And mm. I think in my experiences, which are very vast and I've worked with all kinds of fun, assorted arrays sure. of people. Haven't we all? Yeah. Um, you were just, you were just kind of like this beacon of light because I had this guy who was berating me and just so vile. And I was like, mm-hmm. why the fuck are you going to a, bar with
1: us we're done like i never want to talk to you again and it's a very universal attitude that musicians have
0: and you just kind of calm the storm and that was when i realized i was like oh i can call her a friend she's not just someone i'm paying to be a musician like she actually cares about me and she saw something unjust happening and was just Mm -hmm. like you know it it was just one of those moments where i was like because i think in the industry in the biz Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to make friends, it's very yeah. easy to have acquaintances, people mm-hmm. you work with, both people you're paying and people that you perform with. But at the end of the day, these aren't people you would typically like go out and have a drink with, or right. you know what I mean? Like, Not there's necessarily, a, yeah. Like, it's always a little weird. And I think from a producer composer standpoint, it's even doubly so because the mm-hmm. people that do seek you out. Typically, it's because they want something. Mm-hmm. Singers only wanna work with me because they think I'm gonna make them famous, which I'm like, <laughs> look where we're recording this. It's not gonna happen. Um, instrumentalists typically are just looking either for me to help them record their demos or they're just looking mm-hmm. for like the next gig. And I, mm-hmm. you will mm-hmm. see it because I'll have, like, if I post a notice right now looking for, for any type of musician, my inbox will immediately be flooded with "Hey, friend! I haven't seen you in How's ages!" You doing? And yeah. it's always yeah. like so crib, like "What's going on?" I was like, "Oh, nothing, just chilling." Oh, well, I heard you were working on this blah. <laughs> and I'm always like, "You fucking twats!" Like that, <laughs> like it's like I, you know, I think now I'm older. Business mm-hmm. is business, but I think through that. So, so paranoid Android was kind of that experience where I was like, way in over my head. And as a producer, I'm always mama bear. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't like admonishing people. I'm very, like, nurturing and like, Mm -hmm. we can do it, guys. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, let me rewrite the score because you're having a hard time with it. Like, with the singers, you know, it was just constant battle. And yeah, I think after that, that's when I saw in you the ability to try to find a way to create the projects I was trying to create without doing it all on my own
1: yes it was yeah. just
0: it was one of those things where I threw my amazing partner boyfriend Aaron mm-hmm. <laughs> Aaron literally was like you need to do something differently or we're breaking up and
1: <laughs> amazing yeah tough and, love tough and love. I, love I think
0: through that that's when I reached out to you mm-hmm. and I was kind of like hey um can we have a meeting and just catch up because I think it'd been like a year not a year. It'd been... it
1: been longer than that, I think. Yeah. A year and a it, half or so. It's
0: like a year and a half of me kind of doing some soul searching and mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. trying to figure out what was going on. And I really,
1: I really caught on to that, that, that first email you sent me. You know, you, you sort of caught me up on what, what you were doing, mm-hmm. where you were in your head. Because um, I could see that, you know, like with, with Radiohead, the quality has always been there in your work, for sure. Yeah. It was like you <laughs> getting a hold of yourself... And sort of like setting yourself on the path to like focus and balance, that made me go, yes, I will totally <laughs> work with you, Tyler. You know, like where I, I see. You know, like, and, and it's it's not just it wasn't just the lifestyle changes for you. I feel like you've you've started you've learned how to set boundaries in your life to stop allowing people like the cookies and the Ignacios of the world and everyone else who is come into like you know your space and and taken advantage and exploited and just abused you in whatever way (laughs) and i say that i love
0: my ego being struck by well i
1: (laughs) i say that bluntly not just because tyler's amazing but because you know that happens to all of us as as artists if we're coming as artists into this and many many of us are from a place of just you know being artists you know like souls that want to create and you know uh Find, find people that inspire us, that we can collaborate with, that, that give us the safety net. So we, we tend to come in being very, very trusting people. And um, I think a, a big journey of becoming a seasoned artist and a professional artist and actually staying in it for the long run is learning how to put up those protective barriers. <laughs> and that's as much as, like, change within ourselves. In fact, that's where it starts, right? As, as it is, like, just sort of learning how to say no and, like, set up those boundaries and give yourself standards. And so... I felt that change in you,
0: yeah. which I was like
1: slowly but surely. Yeah, let's do this. You know, so does that does that bring us to now? Yeah, that, yeah. Okay. So
0: we're gonna take a break so we can look at the eclipse. And <gasps> oh,
1: then I'm we'll so f- glad you reminded me. I know. Okay. Oh no, no. I've been
0: watching out the window because I noticed it started to get darker. So so we'll be right back though. Okay. And for them, it'll be nothing. It'll just be like a. Boop. It'll be like no, a second. Well, it's because you're you're you're. It's because know, I'm addicted
1: I, to making lists and like yeah. jotting things down. <laughs> And addicted to my phone, too.
0: I make lists of lists, and then I lose mm-hmm. the list of the list of the list. So. That's why I
1: have an app for my lists of lists. See, Aaron keeps yeah.
0: telling me I need to do that.
1: But I, I, I always forget to, uh, you know, to, yeah. to update it. <laughs> and then, like, three months go by, and I look at it again, and I just get this, like, searing disappointment of all the things that I didn't achieve on my list because I hadn't. Searing
0: read. disappointment would be the title of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> like. It would be. I couldn't agree more. It would be self inflicted wounds, (laughs) colon, searing Searing disappointment.
1: disappointment. I love that. (laughs) So. So we're back. <laughs> we're back. Hey, guys. We didn't watch the eclipse. Uh, it's another 35 to 40 minutes away, and we got yeah. bored and realized that we were both just going to get sunburned on Tyler's roof.
0: Yeah, and I did like try to look a little bit at the sun. And now Tyler partially we'll... blinded himself. Yeah. Well, that that was going to happen. Yeah. That, that was you. kind of a given. But we could see that the sun is blaring through the shades, yeah, so we're so, good.
1: Yeah, so everyone's out there getting a tan. We decided to come back down. I was telling Tyler, I, I figured we would probably need to get t-shirts at the end of the day say, I went to go see the solar eclipse and all I got was this stupid sunburn because yep. he and I are the most pale people ever. <laughs> ever. Or like,
0: You ever see the movie Powder?
1: Yes. I was like, my people. <laughs> I was like, I always wanted to be
0: Powder and when <laughs> I was a kid. You're like, wait,
1: I actually am.
0: Well, I grew up in Iowa on a farm Oh. and so I used to run out in the cornfields during thunderstorms hoping electricity I would get like lightning oh, would key. strike me and then I'd be like powder. None of that actually worked really? out. Really? Was it
1: I, actually like thunderstorming mm-hmm. when you would oh, do yeah. that?
0: I mean, I used to run out in tornadoes. Wow. I was a fucking crazy child. This um, is what you
1: do in the Midwest though. Like what else is there to do? Blah, except pigs. Okay. We're not going <laughs> down that path. All right. So anyway, <laughs> mu- the music business. Uh, oh, okay. so, so where so were we in our, our long saga? Yeah. How so we you were kind of I...
0: like building out. We're yeah. just using, um, the paranoid Android show is kind of an anecdote to right. where it came to, and I think
1: to the middle phase of art, like Beethoven yeah. and his like early stage, middle stage, and like like Radiohead was our middle stage,
0: yeah. For sure, that was definitely our like. Uh, I think that if it were like the Beatles, it would be like the Sgt. Pepper album the start of like the craziness
1: the start of the crazy yeah Yeah. exactly no i think like we just we just really bonded here's the thing that i think is so great about tyler is that (laughs) he because that's what the show's about um listening you write string parts so so well like for a like a what what kind of composer are you you're like an you're like an all of the above kind of composer and producer like you you have a grip on classical you have a grip on jazz broke one (laughs) <laughs> you're broke one, so that's why you're so good, is because you, you spend all your time making art, right? And so, anyway, like, of, all the, of all the composers of your ilk, I suppose I've worked with, you write hands down some of the most, not just accessible, because that, w- that would kind of mean easy. I mean, like, like uh, just like cellistic lines. Like that, who would have thought that somehow, like, two electric guitars? From radiohead, oh yep, mm-hmm. could could that be reduced onto down. one acoustic cello, and somehow it worked, like I
0: I mean that <laughs> in previous episodes, yeah, we break some of that out, oh good um, okay, but I think for me, it was about being heavily influenced, so mm-hmm. when I got out of high school, um I was very. I had the benefit of some amazing high school educators. Mm. So I was supposed to be a concert pianist. I studied Rachmaninoff. Like I did all the Prelude series. Yeah. But the thing, the problem is I have really small hands. So I was never going to, I was never going to be like a classically trained pianist, like for a living. Um, So then it came, oh, you should be a composer but I didn't really know what that meant and mm. I was too cool for school I was like well I don't want to be some fucking square like sitting and all oh, my scores so <laughs> I started producing punk bands after I got out of the Navy and then mm-hmm. I for me the, it was two soundtracks um, it was in like I'm literally giving away the trick um, mm-hmm. so it was the Waking Life soundtrack okay. uh can't remember his name, but it was the Waking Life soundtrack and the I Heart Huckabee soundtrack from John Bryan. And And they just revolutionized the way I looked at music. Because before that, you always kind of thought you had classical music in one camp Mm -hmm. and then you had rock music in the other camp. Mm -hmm. And the Waking Life soundtrack, they added an accordion and it was very melodic but it was mm-hmm. structured like punk songs. And John Bryan's mm-hmm. I Heart Huckabee soundtrack mm-hmm. was very influenced heavily by like found instruments to create these kind of soundscapes. And so that was kind of how it all broke out in my head. Um, and so when I was producing bands... I was the guy you would go to to write the string quartet arrangements for mm-hmm. the punk albums. So so mm-hmm. a lot of my earlier work, that's pretty much all I'm credited for, is like just make arrangements. So I was just an arranger for hire for a while. And then I think somewhere in there, I got really stubborn, and I was sick mm-hmm. of like being overshadowed by these really shitty punk bands. <laughs> sure. So I just started doing my own thing. Good, um, yeah. And then that's how it kind of broke out. And it, lots of crazy turmoil like I did a Microsoft commercial mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was just the score was so far from left field <laughs> like, like I was always exploring and just oh, yeah. kind of experimenting mm-hmm. and then I, I never found I think and thank you again for that compliment but yeah, no I, I never found commercial viability because there's no way to pigeonhole me because it was like somewhat like when mm-hmm. I was in San Diego and I put out the Minotra album it was string quartet Bells, piano, and accordion, and everyone called it in emo fusion jazz.
1: <laughs> emo fusion jazz,
0: yeah, which never made any sense to me. I was like,
1: "What?" That's going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs>
0: yeah, it should be. It should be everyone. Because why not? You yeah,
1: know? I definitely that definitely resonates with me. The uh, inability to put yourself in like, a typeset for, like, the kind of music that you write or the scene that you're in or, you know, the the career path that you end up creating. When it's everything at once, yeah, that's all it is, you know? And um, because I came from a place of cl- being classically trained cellist, um, being a terrible cellist student. I didn't practice. Um, I found playing classical music to be tedious and and boring and it it didn't really connect with me musically back then. Uh, Fortunately, I had a good music teacher, again, high school influence, who still managed to teach me how to be like a decent cellist because she really made me work hard on on learning how to understand music, Mm -hmm. which became a really good vehicle because, you know, it's not about for me anyway, it wasn't so much about Mastering a particular style from when I was a student to even now, for me, it's always about what is my technical ability, how well do I understand music, the concepts of music. You know, broken down, that's harmony, rhythm, style, articulation, musicality, phrasing, sound quality, all these things. And uh, that's my tool belt, and I'm going to bring that to every situation, just bring the value that I have. So, my teacher. She she really taught me to, to work on that, and then she also saw that you know I didn't I didn't like playing Mozart, so she started throwing <laughs> like tangos at me and jazz arrangements and fusion jazz arrangements and maybe even some emo fusion jazz arrangements, and uh, that's that kind of work that kind of music clicked with me more, and I enjoyed it more, and I worked harder on it. Fast forward, I go to Indiana University, I get a classical music degree. I just like pushed myself through it. Um, I think the competition, and the rigor kind of kept me going through it. Mm-hmm. But again, like classical music, it's not really connecting with me. I'm not learning all the standards. Again, I was lucky enough to have a teacher who could sympathize with that and help uh, guide me. Um, because he, in and of himself, he's an amazing, Emilio Cologne. he's an amazing cellist and a very, very gifted musician, conductor, uh, arranger as well. Of all things, uh, when he was younger, and I might get this, the facts wrong because I know millions of people are listening right now. But, oh, um, all, I, all I, um, I do is lie constantly. He, so was a, he was in a pop band back in Puerto Rico where he's from. He was in like a boy band <laughs> and he played like pop synth and, and sang or something like that. So he even in his own background came from a place of like, now he wanted to, you know, focus in on classical music. That was his path. But again, he could kind of sympathize with me. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's why I also don't have commercial viability because I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just a cellist. I think, you know,
0: looking at your credits though, and also looking at what I originally saw when I was like, I need help. And Mm -hmm. who in this vast cosmos of people can I reach out to? And you were the first one that came up. Wow. for me the reason the commercial viability and like mm-hmm. kind of training route didn't work for me is because I'm just inherently lazy <laughs> I just didn't want to fucking work on it <laughs> I'm lazy and I'm stubborn
1: I get that and
0: so I just was like well I can't and I think it's funny because I'm 35 now mm-hmm. so it's like when I was 25 I looked at life a little bit different. <laughs> vastly differently but i looked sure. at life at 25 going would, oh it's just too much work oh, oh yeah. my god yes yeah and and you look back 35 and you're like if i just done a little bit every day up till now mm-hmm. holy shit but that's not you know when you're in your 20s you're too busy like bragging about being a punk rock yeah exactly and getting drunk at a bar to pick up boys yeah <laughs> Like, I used to <laughs> go to the bars with a moleskin, and I would just incoherently, like, scribble notes, music notes in my moleskin. To pick up dudes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it worked. Like oh, yeah, Like, every definitely. time. But I think that was, like, I like to call it my salad tosser days. And I think <laughs> it got me late a lot, but I didn't get a lot done. I,
1: Is I mean, this not the life of every, like, 20-something of our oh, generation? Yeah. I mean... I, I would
0: hope so. What were hope.
1: our 20s for, except to, like, be in... Like just be like high schoolers oh with God. no rules and regulations and curfew or structured institutionalized learning.
0: Well, I think yeah. that's also the huge difference between being in a rock band and being mm-hmm. like a solo musician or a composer producer. Yeah, Cause when you're in a band, you kind of have to, it's sink or swim. Like you can brag all you want, but you have to go on the road. And I'd been on the road with plenty enough bands Mm in my 20s to know that was not the lifestyle Mm -mm. I wanted. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. dude, like getting crammed in, I remember I was crammed in a Honda Element with this crazy creative arts team that were doing a documentary based on this photographer that did nighttime photography. And he wanted to go to 24 states in 24 days and take one picture in one state per day of this nighttime photography he did. And so there were six of us. We were crammed in this little tiny Honda Element. He lied about the money. Oh, so. No. No one's checks cleared. They all bounced and it didn't occur to us until we actually got in the fucking Honda Element. We, we, our, the car broke down in Butte, Montana at one point and oh, it was, no. oh my, it was such, I, and that was like, I think I was like 24 at the mm-hmm. time and I was like, nope, no, nope, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, or like I was yeah, in this sir. band called Echo Revolution.
1: Of course you were.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, and I was just in the keyboard player, but it was like, I just remember like at one point being on the road for like a west coast tour going these guys are losers. Mm. Why am I wasting my time making 100 bucks a week with a bunch of fucking losers I never want to be with?
1: because you knew even back then even though you didn't have like necessarily like the ambition or like the goals or like you know understanding like how to actually go after what you want to do yeah. that you were way too way too talented. You well, that, I don't, I don't mean, know about d- that. I don't mean <laughs> that in <laughs> like stubborn. a lofty way, but it's like, you know, yeah. again, like as art, it's all about, again, it comes back to like that setting standards, yeah. right? And and boundaries for yourself and and learning that process. And, you know, to the point of being like a musician in your 20s versus being a musician in your 30s. Um, it's like, it's not even, for me, I was chronically lazy too and and very disorganized and and couldn't focus. And I think how did I, I just like, not even worked a little bit harder, but like had a goal and really believed in it that would have propelled me to work that extra 10% oh, yeah. for 10 I mean, years. And, it just, but it, and the goal's
0: always changing. Like every day it's a new goal. Yeah. Like every day, I think, I think for, for most, uh, at least from the stories I always hear, it's mm-hmm. not that you don't go into it with some type of goal. It's like, it cha- especially in your 20s with your hormones balancing yeah, out and everything. Yeah. Like every day, I'm gonna do a film and then right. tomorrow,
1: I'm going to be punk rock.
0: For, you know, and, um, and it just was, it just, I kept changing. And yeah.
1: And because like, it, it, it's not just because, you know, we're, we're silly people. It's, it's because
0: <laughs>
1: we were, we weren't really setting goals in the right way. I think, you know, like my, my goals are not anymore to like, I'm going to build a website. I'm going to make an EP. I'm going to.
0: Square Squarespace sponsor I'm us. i to get on.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna master Squarespace. I'm gonna like you know get with that one famous person and get that one concert. You know, those aren't goals. No, those are means to an end.
0: But we think they're goals. We think they're goals,
1: and we think that that is what's going to define us. But those aren't actually goals. And so, like, there's there's a greater life lesson here, I think. Oh yeah, well, and I
0: think that's that's the great segue.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and everyone Mm -hmm. that listens to my podcast knows. Huge, huge overarching tangents, but it was cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and so, when I left Paranoid Android, when we had wrapped up Mm -hmm. um, after that Chris Ignacio shit show, it took me a good year of just cleaning myself up. I Mm -hmm. was, I think that I had many moments where it was like peak drug addled alcoholic, but I think after Paranoid Android. I think something broke in my head and it was like constantly, anytime I would go out for a drink, I'd come home blackout drunk. There's one story Aaron remembers that he videotaped where it's like, I had been roofied and for some reason I thought the CIA had implanted a chip in my head and were monitoring me and he had to throw me in the bathtub with my clothes on and Mm -hmm. turn on the shower just to shock me. Mm -hmm. And I think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like, the look on your face, I you're like, oh my God. And I think that was, that was the wake up. And it was like, okay, I'm hurting. I'm hurting creatively. I'm hurting emotionally. Mm-hmm. And then after that was like a good six months of just sorting everything out. And I think for me, what happened was I just had to humble myself. And I really had to think hard about, not about the goals, but what, what did I enjoy? Um mm-hmm, yeah. I loved working and collaborating with with just creative people. Yeah. Um I I loved being a producer. I loved just working on someone else's stuff and like just trying to bring out kind of the best flavors and the best kind I of know. like stuff and I had stories I wanted to tell but I was in this weird place where it was like, well, I kind of hate singers. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't really know Um, And that's when I contacted you Yeah, Yeah. And I kind of sent this really long Rambly email that kind of laid everything Out (laughs) and I was like I need help I I need someone That can kind of like Take over the logistic end Mm -hmm. I need someone that can kind of Like rope me in and like be like No (laughs) (laughs) And, And the most important thing And I talk about this constantly on the podcast was I wanted to pay you for it and I mm-hmm. wanted to pay mm-hmm. you regularly for the services yeah, um, because I didn't want there to be any weird gray area. I think sometimes when you work mm-hmm. with friends and you don't pay them, it gets weird, right? It gets, it gets very weird
1: because um, I've been uh, – this is something I talk a lot about with, like, my my mentor and my, like, you know, community of, like, music business, goal-minded, you know, musicians who I, I strongly, like, believe in having, like, a support community mm-hmm. of people who think like you and um, especially when you realize that if you actually want to get anything done in this industry that you, you need to put yourself in a place of vulnerability and discomfort and growth all the time. And so to find people who are doing the same thing and who understand that and are there to support you because we all know it's <laughs> super scary um, is, is really vital. So, you know, this, this idea of um paying your friends or paying anyone uh even if it's your own project your own baby you don't have a budget for it you're 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 strapped financially you can find a way to pay people you always you always can and you can do it in a respectful and prompt manner and that builds relationships big time and thinking that it doesn't or that you know gratitude and the the beauty of the project or this like energy and connection you have with somebody will entirely compensate for a little or no budget or a disorganized budget is a trap that a lot of us fall into. Uh, I think because we don't have necessarily a good relationship with money and the measure of value <laughs> that it really is because yeah. it is a measure of value. What, you know, um, what paying somebody tells them in a way that they can use is, I value your time. I value your talent. I value your input and your contribution. And this is my measurement of that value. Uh, and it's something that they can use so that, you know, it helps support them. So I, I think that understanding money as a, as a means of measuring value is vital as a, as a musician, as a freelance musician, as an entrepreneur. Um, and Tyler, you've always been like that. Like you've already... S- had,
0: rock and Bahama Mama. Yeah,
1: you've you've always come to me with, with a a budget and and we made it work and it was great and you know you 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 paid me ahead of my own schedule usually. <laughs> like, yeah, oh yeah. Your well, that, standards are better you, than mine. You, well, I think <laughs>
0: your years of experience. Uh-huh. I think you know because this is supposed to be a little bit of a learning podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like because I was on the other end. Like running a recording studio or producing bands, money always clouded everything Mm -hmm. if you didn't pay them up front. Like, if you don't pay them, like at least pay them or Venmo them the cash right before they go in, Mm -hmm. that's all that's the only thing anyone's fucking worrying about. I mean, me and I speak from experience, like me Mm -hmm. behind the console, if the band hasn't paid me yet, all I'm thinking about isn't about getting the best sound out of them, it's about. I fucking pay my rent, or I don't have any money for cigarettes and beer, like like that. You know, like yeah, no, like that. You you there's that we all know it. That mm-hmm. feeling, that just that weird kind of angsty, like it just kind of yeah. sucks. To you're like, oh, I need, I bro, you know. Even mm-hmm. if you have money in the bank, if you know you have money coming in, and you're not sure, especially with people that may not have like paid you properly in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like slippery about oh, the details or you, you know it's under
1: budget already or whatever and then for them to just, you know. It, it's always... Is it, is it proper eclipse time?
0: I don't know. Hold on. Just making sure I didn't get... Here, it's really let, important let, stuff here. Let, pause it yeah. just a second. And that's where we're gonna leave. Okay, so <laughs> that was part two <laughs> of my interview with the amazing Kaylee Drain and... Immediately following this, I'm gonna post part two. So it's gonna be two separate podcast files, but yeah, it's, (laughs) dude, just just listen to the next one, because the next one is where we actually get into the meat and potatoes. But of course, I have to do an intro for that, because, you know, stupidity. All right, well, thank you all for listening to part one. Um, And as I now will end this podcast, Here come the beats.